How is everyone this morning? Here he comes, mighty man of valor, Gordon Hunter. We need to recognize this man because God recognizes him. God knows exactly who he is. Father, we thank you for Gordon Hunter and Margaret Hunter and the Hunter family. Lord, Father God, we lift them up to you. Father, we thank you. We praise you that you place them in our house with us, Lord, Father God. Father, we just pray that you pour out your blessing upon them in every single way that you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that was great. We started off with five people this morning. I said to uh, James, I might come around and just sing to people individually because uh, there was only five people here. So, uh, Before we get started, we're going to do a meet and greet. I like that. If you guys just want to get up and go and meet someone maybe that you don't usually talk to or that you haven't spoken to before, uh, we're going to take four or five minutes to do that. I want to uh, get some fellowship going, so you go for it. I don't need no social security number, he's my identity And everything that he stored within me Even when insecurity try to tip me Try to make me believe there's something wrong with me He made a permanent purchase that didn't rent me With God's love, I'm full, never on empty No wonder the enemy trying to trip me up But like I'm calling an Uber, guys that'll pick me up And when I'm reading this word, that's when he lifts me up Like in Psalms 141.8, fix my eyes on you Isaiah 26.3, my mind is on you, uh and you'll keep me in perfect peace Then waste your time on me, now my time's on you Not only my outside, but my inside too You gave me the confidence for the things I do You help me rest in you in the work you finish This what it sounds like to be made in God's image Image, 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 Matthew 5:48 told me that I'm made perfect, cause you perfect, yeah. That's 
Okay, everyone, can we start making our way back to our seats, please? Hello? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. I'm slowing it down for the two mumbles. Two. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's cool, eh? It's cool catching up with everybody. And it's hard to do it sometimes after the service. People have to rush off. We have things that we have to do. We live busy lives. So even though that was just five minutes, um, more of that in this place would be good. Just more of it. Okay. Um, before I start, actually, Shine and Mason, can you stand up? Just stand up where you are, just where you are. These two got married last week. <laughs> uh, you can look a little more excited, bro. That's my daughter. So, <laughs> so congratulations on behalf of this house. Awesome to see you guys married. Uh, it's been coming for a while, and, um, and I really thought that it would be hard to let go of my daughter, but real easy to let go of her to you, bro. So congratulations. You can have a seat. Yeah, yeah, it was a great way. Can you tell that I'm padding? I don't have... <laughs> and I'm even going to go over part of my last message first. All right, listen, I, um, I'm stuck on the glorious church and the second coming of Christ. That's where I'm stuck at the moment. And uh, last year I preached a message that was called The Glorious Church, A Glorious Church. This one is called The Glorious Church, A Glorious Church, The Sequel. The Sequel, part two. And this series could go on for quite some time, I'm not sure. But I believe that this is what I'm meant to be speaking about here today. And uh, it's not that it's any more important than the two weeks of grace that we've had, fantastic messages from Pastor Lisa and James. It's just that this is what I'm feeling at the moment. So um, this is what I'm going to speak about. So uh, last time, I'm just going to quickly go over what we spoke about last time. The focus last time was mostly on the glorious church and what it was. And it was on how the, the center church becomes a glorious church. And some of the things that came through were fellowship and intimacy with each other, that we get to know each other better so that we can get to know God better together so that we can become a family on a mission. And so um, I asked the question at the beginning, what does the glorious church look like? And to me, the glorious church would display uh, the manifest power and the tangible presence of God. It would be a church that was filled with the power of God. It would be a church that would travel in the streets and carry the power of God. It would be a church that wherever they went, they carried an atmosphere that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be a place where there were signs, wonders, and miracles happening continually. And we're talking about healings. We're talking about breakthroughs, transformation through salvation. We're talking about a power that is on this church, the body of Christ, that people just get hit in the street by the power of God and their lives are transformed overnight. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the glorious church. And Jesus wants us to be the glorious church. In Ephesians 5.27, it says that 
he might present her to himself, so that Jesus might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, that she should be holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus is returning for. We know we're not there yet, but there is some urgency around the timing of what we're doing right now. We all understand each and every one of us is living in this world, so we understand that there are things happening in the world that are showing a sign of the times of Jesus Christ's return. Is that right? Yeah, we all know that. And so I, I came up with these little things that I said with, without spot or wrinkle and a oneness of faith, that each and every one of us comes into an absolute revelation of the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Saviour and our Deliverer. That we know that we're cleansed of all sin, all sickness and all infirmity. In other words, we are without spot or without wrinkle. That we would be, this church and, our, and ourselves would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we'd be overflowing to full capacity with the power of God on the inside. That that would be a, a, a significant factor in the glorious church. And I, and I took some uh, license with, without wrinkle. And I said that the church should be renewed and refreshed. That we should be a church that is fearless and unafraid of change. And I'm talking about the body of Christ, but I'm talking to the center church. That we should be unafraid of change. You know, last, uh, the first week that I was here, you guys did really well with the change seats. Some people stopped at the door like, what's going on? <laughs> but nobody actually turned around and went out again. So you guys are fearless. Fearless. <laughs> Freaked a few people out, but yeah, Rich says it didn't, though, the chairs don't scare him. <laughs> I want to belong to a church that is fearless and unafraid of change. That is forging ground. That is breaking ground. We're not followers. We don't follow what everybody else is doing. We only follow God, driven by the, by the God inside us. And I, I gave an illustration of what I believe the glorious church looks like, and it is in Acts 2.42. It is the early church. So I'm going to run through that scripture. And they continued... St in fact... Going to get some people to read today. So have we got a microphone here? Yep. If you turn that on. I'm taking volunteers, but I will point people out. Firstly, have you got your Bibles here today? If you've got your Bible, hold it up. If you've got a phone, hold it up. If I don't see any hands, man, <laughs> hang on. I'll, I'll call the scripture again. Yep. So let me say this. Pop your hands down. Let me say this. If you aren't bringing your Bible to church... You should be. Even I don't mind using a phone. I use a phone. It's just easier for me to see. But um, don't rely. There's going to be no scriptures on the board today. Because we should be involving ourselves with the word and looking at what's happening. Now, today, we're going to ask some people to read. So I'm going to need volunteers because I need people with Bibles. And I didn't see who had and who didn't. So, uh, what is it? Acts 2.42. If someone could read from 42 to 44. Or 40, 42 to 44, and then someone reads 45 to 47. Who's, who's a volunteer? Volunteer, who had the Bible? Anyone? Richard Tamomo. Can we hand the mic to Richard Tamomo, please? Okay, who's next after him? Who's reading 45 to 47? No, no. Cool, we got Leanne. Okay. Ephesians, uh, sorry, Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. Yeah. To 44, is it? To 44. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Cool, Leanne. We'll hand it over to Leanne. Thank you, James. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and everything, the favor of all the people, oh, sorry, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you very much. Wasn't it great hearing some different voices? It sounded like Gandalf and then like a sweet kind of dove or something like speaking. <laughs> so that is an illustration of what the glorious church looks like. It's a church where people are sitting under the word, they're sitting under authority, they're praying together, they're feasting together. They fellowship, they fellowship together all the time. They're continually in each other's company. They're seeing signs, wonders and miracles in that church. They've decided that they want to give up their possessions to feed the needy inside their congregation and for us, outside our congregation. We want to make an impact and an influence on this world. And so I love the way that they're doing church there. And of course, at the end, it says that the Lord added to their number daily. And that's what the Glorious Church is about, isn't it? About seeing people saved, about preaching the gospel and sharing it with all creation. And so that was a snapshot of the first message. And today, um, I'm going to focus more on the return of Jesus Christ and what we should be doing right now to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And this, this message is really about us getting a revelation that Jesus is coming and he's coming quickly, that we are, we are living in times where someone in this room of a generation that is much lower than mine is going to see the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. The times are that urgent. Most of the signs are ticked off. There are still some to come. But we may see it in our time. And certainly someone in this room, maybe Evie Willow, if that's her down the back, may see it in her time. And so I want us to get a revelation of the urgency of where we're sitting on the timeline of life. So, how do we know that Jesus Christ is coming again? I mean, the people who have been in church for years and years and years, we've heard this for years and years. In fact, from the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected again, people have been living in the end times. You can imagine that the disciples, when they were talking to Jesus and hearing all of the things that he had to say, and then he says that he's going to come back. He tells them at the Mount of Olives that he's going to come back. You can imagine that they thought it was going to happen in their generation. These are people that knew him. And so every generation since then has felt like it could be the second coming of Jesus Christ. There were Christians through every generation that were eagerly awaiting the coming, the return of the king. And we're no different, except we can see all of the signs. We can see the acceleration of the attacks of the enemy on this world. We can see the increasing immorality in this world. We can see some of the things that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24. And so we should be urgent. So how do we know? Well, all the way through the Bible, in almost every book, there's a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. I've just chosen a few. Uh, in Titus 2.13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 9.28 says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting for him. John 14.3 is Jesus speaking, and he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Revelations 22, 20 says, he who, is he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming. That's Jesus speaking. Yes, I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's just a few scriptures where, in fact, Jesus himself is saying, He will come again. Now, I know that we've heard this before, what I'm hoping today is that we get a deep revelation, not just an understanding, but the God on the inside of us reveals the mysteries of these scriptures, reveals the realness of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Revelation uh, 19, 11 to 16, we're going to split it up again. I need two volunteers who have Bibles. Anyone? You know, I know people have Bibles. Be bold, be fearless. You got it? Uh, Revelation 19, if you go 11 to 13. I'll take it over. You are not part of an audience today. <laughs> you are part of a church. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful, Sorry, got a broken phone. Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on that no one knew except himself. He okay. was 13 to 16 is uh, Jack. Have you got yours? Can you pass to Jack, please? Let's go, Jack. Jackie boy. Yeah, do it in your high, do it in your high voice, bro, your high E. <laughs> 13 to 16, Jack, nine, uh, Revelation 19, 13 to 16. That's right, we'll do that today, Jack. <laughs> this is why you must bring your Bibles. Oh, sorry, you're going, use your microphone. Can you use the mic, please? What verses, sorry. Oh, Revelation 19, 13 to 16. Okay, from now on, every time I preach, you better be ready. <laughs> he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which, he, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. 
King of Kings, Lord of oh. Lords. Yeah, cool. And I, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. We're finished there, Jack. Oh. Thank you. Good work. Okay. Okay, so we're a, bit, we're a bit rusty today, but we will be doing more of this, so get used to it. So I'm going to go through that myself. Now I, saw, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name called the Word of God, and the Armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, who believes that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus? Amen, yeah. Who believes the scripture that says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world? Yep. We all believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Yep. So each of those scriptures tells us that Jesus Christ is coming and that he's coming quickly. And so we have to get a deep revelation of those scriptures as well. We have to truly believe that Jesus is returning and that it could happen any day. Because I'll tell you this, what will happen is that your conduct, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you follow the purpose that Jesus has given you or God's given you in this world will become urgent. There'll be a new urgency about you. There'll be a fearlessness about you. Because you know that the King is returning. And you know that it could be any day. It's not just something off in the distance anymore. It's right now, it's today, it could happen tomorrow. Jesus himself says, we do not know the day nor the hour. I believe that Jesus wants us to live our lives with eagerness that he's coming back, excited and expectant that he's going to come back. And when we do that, when we know that someone's coming, you know, you know that someone's coming to your house, you get all eager and excited about cleaning up, right? Don't you? I hope you do. I know Joan does. Joan's always clean. Your house is always clean, right? There's an urgency that comes from knowing that your king, the king of kings, the guy that gave his life for yours, took away all your sin and all your sickness, is coming soon. Think about the purpose on your life that maybe you've, you're either carrying out, maybe not to 100%, maybe you are, maybe you've got a purpose on your life or a gift that you're not even using. How does that change when you know that Jesus is coming? And it could be tomorrow. Everything changes. Your conduct, the way you carry yourself as an ambassador for Christ changes. Now listen, you guys might be doing 100%. You might be doing amazing. I know that we can do more if we knew that Jesus was going to be here tomorrow to check us. So I want to talk a little bit about the, um, what they call the Olivet, Olivet Discourse, Olivet Discourse. It's really just where Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives talking to the disciples. And he's giving the boys a breakdown. So these are guys that have been with Jesus. They've been taught by Jesus. They've got a greater understanding of Jesus than anybody else on the earth. And so he can give them a little bit more. And so they're sitting there and he's asking them, or they're asking him, what's next? What's next? What are the signs of the time when you will return? 
And so Jesus is speaking to them. And he tells them about the destruction of Jerusalem. He tells them about the tribulations. He starts to tell them about the signs of the time when he will come back. And he speaks about a world that is perilous. Where there are wars and rumors of wars. Where nations are rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. Where there's pestilence and false teachers and false prophets. Teaching in his name, leading people astray. Isn't that the world we're living in now? And so he's alerting them to the sign of the times. And he tells them some parables. And one of the parables is the parable of the ten virgins. And I want to speak about that one. Um, and I'm just going to touch on it. Um, yeah, we'll, stick, we'll keep going. Who's got a Bible? Uh, if you go to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, someone's doing 1 to 6, someone's doing 7 to 13. Has anyone in the front row got a Bible? Yep. Okay. Uh, 7 to 13. Okay, Richard, use your MC voice, your, your fun but serious voice. Well, uh, of course I will, Matthew. <laughs> use your Frankie Stevens voice. Yeah. Okay, the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Okay, 7 to 13, please. Who's got that? Then all those virgins, virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Say no, lest there should be not enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for, for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Uh, afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, you know, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Awesome. Thank you very much. You too? It's not a competition, but I think Pete got you, Rich. So I guess we need to know who's speaking. That is Jesus speaking a parable to the disciples. The audience is the disciples, obviously. And the time that it's set in is first century AD, I guess, or coming up to first century. Jesus hasn't um, died or been resurrected yet. And the parable is speaking about Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. Um, there's some different thinking about the virgins whether the virgins represent the church or whether the virgins represent Israel. Either way, that parable and what it says and what it means is relevant to us as children of Christ and to us as a church. And so we're going to receive it as if we're the audience this morning, as if it's to the church, which it could be. Okay, uh, so in first century Jewish tradition at a wedding, uh, the bridegroom would come from his home and he traveled to the bride's house. So in this day and age, when Mason and Shine were getting married, Mason came around in the morning, 
and him and Bronson got ready, and then they were traveling to the church. Now, I know it takes about 12 minutes from my house to the church, so I can identify when they're going to be here, right? If they left at 10 o'clock, they're going to be here by quarter past 10. Cheyenne was able to give me updates from Te Huru all the way down to the point where she could give me an update from the end of the road to say, we will be coming past shortly in a drive-by, just so you can have a look, and then we'll come in the drive, right? So everybody here knew what was happening. There was communication, we knew the distance, we knew there were vehicles in involved, and so we didn't have to guess when they were going to be here. But you imagine a, a bridegroom travelling in that day and age from his home, could be 30, 40 miles away, he could be coming on foot, could be coming on horseback, he could be coming with family, he could have old people with him, young people with him who might be a little bit slower. And so nobody really knew when the bridegroom was going to show up. They just knew that he would leave his house early and he would come to the bride's house. And so people were waiting for him. And we, we see in that parable that the, the, the virgins actually fell asleep because they didn't know when he was going to arrive. And what would generally happen is that the bridegroom would arrive at the bride's house, they would have a ceremony or a series of ceremonies, and then after that they'd leave as a procession and go back to the bridegroom's house for the reception. And so they're travelling all that way back. At that point, no doubt, it's nightfall. And so they have to carry torches and lamps. And if you're carrying a torch and a lamp, and if you've got a wick or a piece of cloth or whatever you're burning, you've got oil on it, the oil's going to run out. So you had to carry oil with you. And so, uh, in fact, in Jewish tradition, if you were travelling as a wedding procession, if there were people not carrying lamps, they were considered to be gate crashers. And so you had to have your light. And so... Uh, the five virgins, or the ten virgins, what they represent, um, and it's important to us, is that the five virgins represent, or the five wise virgins, represent the born-again believer. They represent the truly born-again believer who is ready and waiting, eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ. Now, what do we mean by ready? Well, number one, you have to know Jesus Christ. You have to have been saved. You have to have been born again. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be living your life with conduct that makes you an ambassador for Christ. You should be connecting to God. You should be getting closer to God each and every day. Smith Wigglesworth says that if you uh, don't know God better today than you did yesterday, you're backsliding. And how do you do that? We're in the Word. We're praying. We're fellowshipping. We're studying. We're continually trying to grow our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a revelation of who he is and what he means to us on the inside, what he's done for our lives. We have a revelation of our purpose in Christ and what we're meant to be doing. I'm meant to be here this morning preaching this word. I was meant to be on stage singing this morning. You know, like um, whoever, like James was meant to be preaching last week. These are our purposes in God. And so the truly born again believer is getting closer and closer to Jesus Christ every day and is eagerly awaiting his return. And so those five virgins, they were prepared with oil. They were connected to Jesus Christ. He knew them. He knew who they were. They knew him. And so they were let in. But the other five, the five foolish versions, and we know they represent believers because Jesus, they asked, why wouldn't you let us in? They know Jesus. He just doesn't know them. Those five versions represent false believers. People who aren't following Christ. People who haven't made a connection with Christ. Now, I'm a, I'm a once-saved, always-saved guy, but I see, that, I see what they're saying, what Jesus is saying in this parable. You know, at the, end of that, at the end of that scripture, that passage, he says this, or they say, he says, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. In other words, we know you, Lord, 
We know, we believe we're meant to be here. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. I don't know you. Maybe you haven't been living right for a long time. Maybe you haven't been connecting with me. Maybe you haven't been praying. Maybe you haven't been communing. Maybe you've been trailing along or carrying along on the coattails of truly born-again believers. This parable is about being ready. And Jesus is saying, the door is closed if you're not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So how important is it for us to be ready? How important is it for us to be growing in God each and every day? How important is it for us to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? How important is it for us to get a revelation of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming and when he comes, he's going to know us or he's not going to know us? Twenty twenty two is time to wake up. It's time for believers to wake up, rise up, and truly start connecting with Jesus Christ. And I'm not putting anyone down, I'm not trying to criticize anyone in this room. I'm not even saying it's anybody in this room. What I'm saying is the body of Christ needs to wake up. These times are urgent. God needs us. And Jesus Christ just wants to know us. You know, we sang this morning about his presence. You are worthy. You can't sing the song with a hollow heart. You have to sing the song like you really mean it. You know, I remember Pastor Don preaching a message in this church, uh, probably 2007, 2008. Now, who remembers Pastor Don's preaching? Gordon does, Margaret does, a lot of people do in this room. I remember some of his messages, you know, like if you remind me, I know Gordon remembers just about every message, so does Margaret. <laughs> they can tell you how many, how many messages he preached on a certain subject. But I only knew Pastor Don for probably a year and a half. And uh, he preached this message one time about the second coming of Christ. And he was trying to create an urgency. And it, it got written on my heart. I really felt that one. And he was, saying, he was saying that the timeline of life was this, that there were 2,000 years of chaos, 2,000 years of the law of the Old Testament, 2,000 years of grace, and that we were coming into the 1,000 years of Jesus Christ's reign on earth, Right? And he kept repeating it. He kept saying, 2,000 years of chaos, 2,000 years of grace, 2,000 years of law, 2,000 years of grace, where are we now? And slowly but surely, I mean, he repeated this and repeated, he drilled us. Slowly but surely, the room started getting more and more excited about where we were because we were in 2007. We were at the end of two, that 2,000 years of grace. We were at the end of a season ready to come into a new season where Jesus Christ would return for the glorious church. And he just drilled it and drilled it and drilled it. And I never lost it. I got a revelation that day that Jesus Christ is coming and that has created an urgency in me throughout my walk. I've had dips, but I always come back to the fast lane. I'm not trying to boast, I'm just saying. I truly believe that, I'm, you know, that I could see Jesus Christ return and I prepare for it constantly. And I know there are people in this room who do, probably all of you in this room do. But get a deep revelation of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming and it should flavor and influence how you live your lives. If Pastor Don said it, it's right. <laughs> and he was preaching from the Bible. He was saying, even he said, uh, you know, a thousand days in God's eyes, a day, two days of chaos, two days of law, two days of grace. Where are we? We're at the end of the season of grace. We're coming into the reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Are we getting that? Did you already have it? Probably. 
I can't stress it enough. Look around you at the world that we're living in. You know, there are problems in the world that science can't fix. Politics can't fix. The leaders of this world can't fix. Just look simply at one thing that happened last year with the, the Black Lives Matter and the racial thing that was happening in America. I know it's a touchy subject. People can't fix that. People can't fix it. People are trying. God can fix it. God can fix it. God is the answer to every question that this world has. The return of Jesus Christ is the answer to every challenge that we're facing. And so let's be the glorious church. Let's have a revelation of Jesus Christ coming back. And let's believe every day when we wake up, let's wake up and go, man, I hope he comes today. And if he does, I'm going to be so ready. Because I tell you what, that's how we become the glorious church, is once we start thinking like that. Because you will be more urgent about every single thing that you do. You'll pour your passion and your heart into every single thing that you do. No longer will we, will we be distracted by the things that are happening out in the world. No longer will we be distracted by Netflix and things like that. We will only want to have a better relationship with Jesus Christ so that when he comes, we are the glorious church. Is that cool? Okay, so you have homework. Um, yeah, I want everybody, make a mental note. Darcy, you might want to write this down. <laughs> I pick on Darcy a lot, but you guys don't see what he does to me behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's so discouraging behind the scenes. Uh, so, your homework is to read 2 Peter chapter 3. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Richie Tamomo, it's in Peter. It's in Peter. I feel bad saying what that chapter's about because Richie probably knows it inside and out. But uh, it, it talks about God's promise. And, and why, the, version that I, the version that I have says God's promise is not slack. In other words, when God makes a promise, you can believe it. And it talks about the day of the coming of Christ. And then it talks about us being steadfast. And someone was talking to me, about this, uh, to me this morning about... How many people, all of us, have seen come through this church who maybe have gone on to another church but maybe have just fallen off? They didn't stand. They couldn't be steadfast. They couldn't wait. They were like the five virgins that couldn't stay awake. And then when they woke up, they had no oil. That's sad. We're not going to be those guys, right? No one in this room is going to be those guys. We're going to be a church that is a family on a mission. We're going to be a church that has a revelation of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ, the return of our King. We're going to be a church that is urgent for Christ. We're going to be a church that is going out and making changes, impacting and influencing our community. Is that us? Is that us? Yes. 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 Okay. You know, I, I want you to get this picture in your head, and it's, it's perfect for me because it's fresh. Uh, obviously Mason and Cheyenne got married last week. I didn't know they were going to be here today, so this might be embarrassing for them, but um, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, we are the bride. Now for the men in the room, I don't know about you, but for me to get my head around that, it actually took me a few years, and I'm being serious. It took me a few years. It took me a few years to see myself as a bride. I'm just being real. Every time it was preached, I'd be like, oh, really? Am I a bride? Like, <laughs> My brother saw the bride in me. Cheers, bro. 
Wow. It did take a minute for me to get my head around it because I didn't understand the relationship that I had with Jesus Christ. At that time, I was grateful and thankful for the transformation. But I hadn't connected with the love that he, you know, that had to come with that. And I hadn't really grown my love for him. And that's what I'm talking about today is continually getting to know him better. So I got to a point where I loved him so much I could get past that little thing, that little manly thing. Anyway, Jesus is the bridegroom, we are the bride. Last week, Mason and Cheyenne got married, and uh, in the morning, Mason and Bronson came around to my house. And I said to Mason, how are you going? And he said, man, I hardly slept. I was awake every hour. I'm so excited, like, I'm so excited to marry your daughter. And then uh, he said, I've been emotional all morning. I keep tearing up. I'm hoping I can hold it together. And uh, he went off to the church, and then I came to the church, and I was waiting out the front for Cheyenne. And she pulled up in the car, and it was a convertible Mustang thing. And um, she looked so radiant. She had done her hair, her makeup. She had the most beautiful dress on. She got out with the biggest smile I've ever seen on her face because she was so excited to be married to Mason. And she went out. They come in, and they did a little touch-up. So I'll just go to the bathroom, touch-up, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she came out, and we were waiting while the bridesmaids were coming down the aisle. And I said... uh, I said, um, how are you feeling? And she said, I'm really nervous. I'm so excited, but I'm emotional. And as we stepped into the room, you could actually hear sobbing in this room. It was a real um, emotionally charged wedding. And most of the sobbing was coming from the front. <laughs> <laughs> and as we walked down the aisle, Mason was standing at the front with tears running down his face because he was so excited. This was an emotional moment for him. And Cheyenne was coming down the aisle and she was tearing up and saying, Dad, I'm really emotional. And we were trying to calm her down to get to the front. What I'm trying to say is um, that in that that situation, Jesus Christ is feeling the same things as Mason. You know, he, he is excited to meet us. He died for us. He gave his life for us. How much must he love us to have given his life for us? There's a, there's a, think about men, think about when you married your wife, think about how excited you were. That's how excited Jesus Christ was. And we have to be as excited as Cheyenne is, or as she was. So excited and so emotional that we can't wait to meet Jesus Christ at the altar. We've been eagerly waiting, like her. Couldn't wait to see our groom. And there should be some photos, yep. They got some awesome photos. That's how we should be with Jesus Christ. That's how we should be thinking. Because if they were getting married and Cheyenne didn't know when it was going to happen and she didn't bother to get excited, then that's the five foolish virgins, isn't it? The five wise ones were like her, giddy. Giddy with love. (laughs) those photos are amazing those photos are amazing you know what you don't even have to do much you just have to spend time with Jesus that's all and you'll learn to love him you'll get to love him more than you do today and then we will become the glorious church so remember your homework we're reading 2 Peter chapter 3 remember that um, at any stage any preacher could ask you to read a scripture so make sure you've got your Bibles 
your Bible should be, like it is a living document, but it should be a living document to you. You should be writing notes in it constantly, making markings about what happened and when. You know, you could write down, you know, when uh, on the 23rd of January when Richard said that he could see the bride and Matt. Write that down in your Bible so you remember it. <laughs> uh, so just in closing, part one, or part one of this was what is the glorious church? How do we become a glorious church? And part two was what do we do while we're waiting? What are we supposed to be doing? And we are supposed to be doing the work of God and connecting with Jesus Christ. And that's it. And part three will no doubt be about what happens when Jesus gets here. So I'm going to hand over to James. And uh, Darcy and I are going to go back up on the stage.